Hey, I want to tell you what what a great song that is. It uh, you may have heard it on the radio. It's uh, I'm I'm glad we've done it here uh, this morning. But uh, but but I hope that you recognize as we sang those uh, those lyrics, as we sang those words, that we just took a journey through the gospel. That that's all that was. That was a journey through the gospel as God created everything that was created. And it was perfect and wonderful. And, and, uh, and if we don't praise him, the rocks and trees will cry out. But I, I say, why don't we give the rocks and trees a day off? I mean, I think that would be the greatest thing in the world to do is to be able to praise him, uh, not because we've gathered together at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, but because we recognize and, uh, and affirm his glory and his goodness. And as we do that, we want to open up his word and have him speak to us. And as he does that, I want to give you a fair warning. This message today, this message about the church at Thyatira, a great name for a church. The church at Thyatira, it was a corrupt church. And so there's going to be some things that come out from the text that may be challenging to hear. And maybe challenging to do. And so I, I want to go ahead and give you a fair warning for that. And uh, I want to ask you to t- take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. We'll be in verse 18 in just a few minutes. But as you're turning, I want to remind you, when I was a youth pastor, I used to do this little uh, uh, object lesson with some of my students. And I would take a, a glass of water. And I said, hey, on a hot, muggy day when you're dying of thirst... Would you really want something like this? And they said, Yo, hey, yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd want a glass of water. That would be something that would quench my thirst. I really need a glass of water. And then I would take out uh, some, uh, some liquid uh, in a dropper that had a skull and crossbones on it. It was arsenic. It was arsenic drops. I didn't, it wasn't really, but it was for the object lesson. I didn't really have poison. <coughs> I wouldn't be in ministry now because I would have poisoned some of the students that I was there with. But uh, I would say, now, I take the glass and I would drop one drop of arsenic in that uh, glass of water. I said, now would you drink it if you were thirsty? And they said, you've got to be crazy. I said, well, why not? Still water, you're still thirsty. I said, no way, it would kill us. I said, you know what, you're right. But let's, let's dilute it even, for, uh, even further. So I took a, a gallon jug of water. And I said, now, if I just put one drop in this gallon jug of water, that's not a whole lot. Would you drink it then? They said, never. Not even a hint of poison. I I wouldn't drink anything with even a hint of poison in it. And that illustration and that object lesson was to remind us that Satan's desire to corrupt us doesn't always come in waves. It doesn't always come uh, in, in large doses. Sometimes it comes very subtly, very, very small drops. It's subtle and sometimes it's even disguised as success or something good or something helpful. You know, we see, we talk about corruption. We, we have to go no further than Washington, D.C., and and how many times have we heard politicians who were not politicians, who've, who were elected and they were brand new, and we've seen a wave of this in the last several years that have said, we're men of integrity, women of integrity, and we want to go up there and we want to change the culture there. And they get there. And what changes? They do. 
because corruption seeps in oftentimes and, and they're making decisions uh, that they never thought that they would make and they're tolerating things they never thought was possible. And many of you by now have, have, uh, have heard of the, the, the new law, the, the ruling in, uh, in New York about what is being tolerated as, as, and labeled as women's health care is now one of the most heinous abortion laws on the books. And New York made it legal to have an abortion up to the time of birth. And, uh, and we're living, I don't have to tell you this, we're living in a corrupt time where we call evil good and good evil. And, and Satan, the enemy, is, is making sure that this world stays corrupt, that we stay corrupt because he wants to corrupt your life and make us ineffective for the kingdom. See, the reason we have to sing songs like we just sang, 100 billion galaxies, uh, and, and, and we want to, uh, if, if the stars were made to worship, so will I. The reason we have to be reminded of that is because we don't worship. The reason we need to be reminded of those things is because as Christians, we're not being what Christ called us to be and what Christ made us to be. And, and so... The enemy is making sure that we stay distracted and we stay corrupted. Because when we tolerate things and people that spread false teachings and say false things or, or give us just enough truth to draw us in, but we follow them anyway. That's causing us as a church to lose focus. That's causing us as a church to lose influence. And, and this church in Thyatira, can help us as we open up the text and reread through this. It can help us because we're surrounded, they were surrounded by corruption. From the outside and from the inside. Thyatira was one of the smallest churches in all of Asia out of the seven churches. And it was a blue-collar church, and a lot of people in that church worked in trades, and, and they had trade guilds, which were very much like uh, unions and union shops and, and you had to belong to a union you had to belong to a trade guild in order to have a job and so if you didn't belong to those trade guilds you couldn't work and, and even though it was the smallest church it was very very much the least important church in all of uh, Asia but it required the longest letter from John Jesus had a lot to say to the church at Thyatira because it was known as the corrupt church and my question for you and, and for our church and, and for churches all over is, how can we navigate through this corrupt world and, and live consecrated holy lives? Well, the text will show us how we can do that. So let's jump in. Verse 18 and 19, we're going to read in Revelation chapter 2, it says this. Write to the angel of the church in Thyatira, thus says the Lord, uh, the, the Son of God, the one whose eyes are like fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze. I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. I know that your last works are greater than your first. Now, this letter is very similar to the other letters of the church in, in, uh, uh, the, uh, in the region of Asia, those seven churches that John had written about that Jesus was speaking to. And, and it, the letter had a similar format because Jesus describes himself he, he said fire from his eyes because he recognized 
things that we don't always recognize. He recognized and he can see through our corruption. He can see through some of the things in our life and, and he can recognize things we don't always discern. And then Jesus says good things about the church. And then he shares some bad things that he recognizes and then he provides a solution and reminds people of what believers who overcome and conquer uh, can, can experience. And, and the first thing that we see is Jesus celebrates the positives of this church. Jesus noticed some things about the church at Thyatira that deserve praise and affirmation. He says, I know your love. Jesus recognized this church as a loving church. They love one another. They had great fellowship, I'm sure. He, he said they were faithful. They remained faithful to Christ even though they were surrounded by a pagan corrupt culture. He noticed their service. They didn't shrink back to their call to serve others even in the circumstances that they had. Can you believe, you know, can you imagine serving in a world that is contrary to your values? Uh, serving in a world that, that stands uh, against your Christian principles. Yes, you can imagine it because that's what we're living in. And, and, but it didn't stop them from serving. But a lot of times we have churches that just get in this holy huddle and we, we, love, uh, we love our own uh, our time together and we, we spend time together, but we don't want to serve outside the walls of the church. You know why? Because people might criticize us or people might uh, come against us or people might do harm against us. And, but Jesus recognized their service. He recognized their endurance. They didn't give up. They kept going. They persevered even through... Uh, a corrupt culture. And then he, he recognized their sanctification. Jesus said their latter works were better than their earlier works. That gives us the, the, the picture of sanctification as they grew in grace and knowledge. Their, the things that they were doing uh, later was better than what they were doing earlier, which shows that they were growing and growing and growing as Christ followers. Jesus celebrates the positive, And there's some good things that this church was involved in. There's some good things that our church is involved in. We're also known, I hear people tell me all the time, your church is such a loving church. We have people that tell us that we're a loving church. We have great worship. I shared earlier that our worship team is an incredible worship team. They lead us to the throne of grace every week, and I'm so thankful for them. We have a groups ministry. Our life groups, they, they exist to help you build relationships with each other. So, because we, are, we were made for each other. We were made to honor God and to be in relationship with each other. And so we have opportunities for, for us to build relationships through life group. We give you opportunities to, to use your gifts that God has given you to serve the church and serve the community. And we're slowly becoming a disciple-making church, a loving church. And I truly believe great days are ahead for our church. And, and this is something to celebrate because it gives a picture of, of growth and health. And, and in Thyatira, all outward signs were this was a growing, healthy church. But looks can be deceiving. Because a lot of times we can look at churches on the outside and say, oh, that's a growing church, or that's a great church. That's an exciting church to be a part of. That's a loving church. And, and you can be a part of that on the outside. You can see it from the outside. But looks can be deceiving because small compromise can create big casualties. And that's when Jesus, second thing he does, he challenges the negatives in the church. Look at verse 20. Verse 20, he says, but I have this against you. That's what his, 
his common theme was in, in five of the seven churches. He says, hey, you've got all these good things going for you, but I have this against you. Let me ask you a question. If Jesus wanted to come to you and said, hey, I like that you're coming to church, but I have this against you. Now, how often do we like to have anybody have something against us? We don't, right? What would you feel, how would you feel if Jesus, the Lord himself, said, I have this against you? Would you pay attention? Well, sure you would. Because Jesus has something against this church. Here's what he says. He said, I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and, and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but does, she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I'll throw her, throw her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great affliction unless they repent of her works. I'll strike her children dead, and then all the churches will know that I'm the one who examines minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Man, that's harsh, isn't it? Did you hear what I said? I will kill your children. I mean, that's what it says right here, right? I will strike her children dead. That's pretty harsh. Do you think that Jesus meant what he said when he said, I don't want any corruption in my church. He challenges the negatives in the church. And what did Jesus have against this church? Well, they tolerated Jezebel. Now, this is not some misogynistic culture where, where they don't like women or they don't like women in the church. And so they're trying to, they're saying, you tolerate this woman and, and it should be, you know, something else. They were tolerating this woman who called herself a prophetess. So she had overstepped her bounds in leadership, but she had also been teaching corrupt doctrine. See, she was calling herself a prophetess, and, and prophetess is a, a legitimate uh, calling in, in the Scriptures because we see uh, at the birth of Jesus at the temple, Anna, who was waiting there, she was a prophetess. Philip, who was one of the apostles, his four daughters were prophetesses. Is that a word? I guess it is now. In the Old Testament, you have Moses' sister, Miriam. She's a prophetess. And even Deborah, who's a judge, uh, she was also known as one who prophesied. The problem with Jezebel, and, and that likely was not her name. She probably had another name, but, but, uh, but, but the Lord called her Jezebel as a reminder of back to the Old Testament book of 1 Kings where Jezebel, the queen, corrupted Ahab, the king, by introducing him to idolatry. So the name Jezebel became synonymous with idolatry and immorality. And people would never name their kid Jezebel. Y'all know any Jezebels today? No. It's never on the top ten list of girl names. Judas? Any guys? Any boy names? No. Nobody names their, their kids Jezebel or Judas, right? Because it represents the character. And so... Uh, Jesus is talking about, and John, John's writing about Jezebel. The name Jezebel is synonymous with, with the immorality and idolatry and, and the character that she's uh, exhibiting through her leadership there in the church. And they were tolerating her, inserting herself in the church. And she not only overstepped her bounds in leadership, she was leading a corrupt doctrine. Uh, and she was teaching corrupt doctrine as truth. 
And I mentioned earlier about the trade guilds. What happened was trade guilds were needed for employment. You could not work without a union card, for lack of a better term. That's what it was. Is uh, they, were, they were trade guilds, and in those uh, trade guilds, you had to belong to a trade guild for whatever trade you had. <clears throat> and part of belonging to that trade guild was you would get together uh, regularly for, for meetings, and in those meetings they would have worship. And they would worship the time, they would worship the God of that trade, the, the God of iron or the God of you know whatever. And as they would worship those gods, those false gods, they would also have a meal and they would uh, eat meat that had been sacrificed to those idols. You see where I'm getting at? Christians should feel very, very uncomfortable in those situations because they could look around and say, hey, this is not what I should be doing. This is not at all what I should be doing. And so they would, uh, they would be eating these foods that, are, that, are, that had been sacrificed to idols. And then eventually most of those meetings would, uh, would drift out into debauchery and sexual immorality. Jezebel taught the church, hey, you know what? It's okay to be a part of these trade guilds. It's okay if you participate in all that. After all, it's work. It's for work anyway. It's, it's no big deal. It's for work. And, and so God's going to, he's going to be okay with it because after all, you've got to work. You've got to have a job. So God's going to overlook these things and, and so it's okay to do that. God didn't mind you eating meat, sacrificed to idols, or the immoral practices since it was a requirement for your job. Listen, we tend to trust God's word right up to the point until it cost us something. Do y'all hear me? We trust God's word right up to the point that it gets hard. And then we start making excuses. Well, you know, God, will you give me a pass here? Will you give me a pass because, I mean, it's, after all, it's for my job. And I've got to have a job. Or after all, it's, it's, it's going to benefit me later on. I'll compromise here, but it's going to help me down the road. Friends, we've become very pragmatic about our faith. And pragmatism is just a, it's a philosophy that says it only matters when we see results. See, truth is determined by the consequences. Whether something's right or wrong or good or bad really shifts doesn't matter anymore. It really shifts to, hey, does it work? Is it beneficial to me? See, God understands I can do this because it's from job. Churches are full of people today with a pragmatic faith. Another problem she uh, introduced was uh, she took the teaching of Jesus and mixed it with the teaching of these false gods. And we, we call that syncretism. She synced up. Christianity with these other world religions. For, for example, we see that today, syncretism today. I hear from time to time Christians, well-meaning Christians, Christians who love Jesus, I, I hear them saying, well, karma's going to get them. You ever heard that? Maybe you've used that. That's syncretism, friends. You know why? Because karma is a Buddhist belief that's nowhere close to Christianity. And when you meld it with Christianity, it's a small compromise. But a small compromise can lead to a big casualty. 
So Jesus challenges this Jezebel, and, and, and in his grace, again, it reminds us, you know, Jesus, zap her. Get her out of the way. But Jesus reminds us of how loving and wonderful he is in verse 21. He said, I gave her time to repent, but she doesn't want to repent of her sexual immorality. Jesus says, I've been patient with her. Aren't you glad he's patient with us? I've been patient with her, and that's so consistent with the character of Christ. 1 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord doesn't delay his promises. Some are understanding delay. But he's patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Jesus is patient. He's patient with her. But Jezebel doesn't want to repent. Be cautious of people that don't want to repent. Because pride is lurking at the door. And get this. Discipline comes because repentance doesn't. Verse 23. I will strike her children dead. I I want you to circle that or underline that in your Bible. That is not to to remind you of, of, of how mean God can be. But that's how serious Jesus is about sin. And the consequences of our sin. He said, I'll strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I'm the one who examined minds and hearts. And I will give to each of you according to your works. Sometimes when we face God's discipline, it can be painful. And some of you may be even carrying around your own spirit of Jezebel right now. Because you want to do your own thing. You want to be in charge. You want to call the shots. You may not be spouting off heresy like Jezebel was here in the scriptures. But... But you may, not be, you may be saying and doing and living in a way that's contrary to Christ's teaching through his word. And it begins just with a hint of corruption. One drop of worldly influence. One drop of corruption. And see, Jesus examines our hearts. He examines our minds. And he reminds us that if you're willing to repent, anyone can be changed. Anyone can come to knowledge of Christ. Anyone can be changed by the gospel. Otherwise, discipline and judgment comes. And see, Jesus knows our hearts. He knows our minds. He knows our motives. He knows our inner being so well. You know why? Because he created it. He doesn't want corruption to slip into his church. He didn't want corruption in in Thyatira. He doesn't want corruption in Lee Heights. He doesn't want corruption in any of his churches. All over the world. Because the smallest corruption can create the biggest casualty. So I want to encourage you to repent. But then Jesus finally communicates the solutions for the church. Look at verse 24. He says, I say to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching. Who haven't known the so-called secrets of Satan as they say. I'm not putting any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my word to the end, I will give him authority over the nations. And he will rule them with an iron scepter, and he will shatter them like pottery. Just as I've received this from my Father, I will also give him the morning star. Let him who has ears listen to the Spirit, what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus has a solution for those who are not willing to compromise. Jesus has a solution for those who aren't willing to, comprom- to, to tolerate sin or allow corruption. He says, listen, I'm not putting any more on you than what you already have. I'm not putting anything else on you. I'm not adding anything new. 
Here's what I need you to understand, church. Keep doing what you're doing. Hold on to what you have. Because they held on to the gospel. They were, they were focused on love and faithfulness and service and endurance and, and sanctification. He said, hold what you got. I remember growing up as a kid, I used to help my dad um, at his jobs and around the house. And, and my dad was a, was a big guy. And so whenever there was a tight job, guess who got to do it? Because I was a scrawny little kid for, for a period of time. And and he, said, he would send me to a place to, to do something, and he and I would be talking back and forth, and he may ask me to hold something in place or get to, get to a point where I would hold something until it was exactly where it needed to be. And, and so I would move it around, and he'd say, okay, 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 hold what you got. That meant if you move, you're going to get a whipping like never before. He said, hold what you got. And so I would hold what I've got because I knew, I knew, I knew if I moved it, we'd have to start all over again. It wouldn't be pretty. But there were times where, where I let something slip and then he let something slip because he was not a Christian for a long, long time. But, but when I, he said, hold what you got because that's exactly where I need it to be because that's exactly what needs to happen. And, and we'll, we'll secure this thing or we'll fix this thing. And so... He, he said, hold what you got. Jesus is telling us, those, the church in Thyatira, and he's telling, telling us as a church, hold what you got. If we hold on to the gospel, here's what we've got. We, if we hold on to the gospel, there's nothing more than we need. And I want to encourage you to be discerning. Because a lot of times what we do, we're living in a consumeristic culture where we're looking for the new, the better, the shiny, the deeper things. And we get distracted and chase after those shiny, new, deep things. And, and understand, though, the Christian life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. But a lot of times we get real excited about stuff and we say, man, <laughs> i got to go do this. And you just charge off and, and, and you follow after someone who may be like, Jezebel. Sometimes in marathons, you can tell I've run several marathons, not at all, but I've talked to people who did, and they said marathons, at some point, they get really kind of mundane, because all you're doing is running. That's why I don't run a marathon. I don't have that much patience, but for 26 miles, you can imagine how mundane and, and boring it can get along the way. This can happen sometimes in our churches. Not because we don't have good worship or not because we don't have good teaching or good uh, programs or good uh, uh, fellowship, but just the nature of life. Sometimes it happens in churches and with our consumeristic culture, when we walk with Jesus, sometimes we say, eh, this ain't doing for me anymore. I need something else. I need something bigger. I need something better. I need something deeper. I need something new. I, and so you'll go out and you'll find teachers to teach you. You can always find good teachers to teach you. You can always find, get this, false teachers to teach you. The internet is one of the greatest tools in Christian life. But it can also be one of the harshest tools. Because we don't know 
If you can't discern between truth and, and falsehood, when you can't discern between good and bad doctrine, a lot of times what sounds good and what sounds right is, is truth mixed with a little bit of error. Just a little bit of compromise. Just a little bit of false teaching. And sometimes it's presented with flash and style and there's just enough truth to draw you in. But maybe uh, down deep, there's a hint of prosperity gospel that says, hey, listen, come on, follow our teaching and, and God's going to bless you. The false gospel, it was just a hint of corrupt doctrine. So a lot of times people chase after those things until that doesn't do it for us anymore and then we're on to the next one and the next one. And the next one. That's why you have people going from church to church, searching for new teaching and different teachings, looking for that shiny new thing and uh, the things that will claim to take them deeper, but you only go deeper into ungodliness. Friends, I want you to leave here with tools that will help you be like those in Thyatira where Jesus said, hold on to what you have. Hold on to what you have. That faithfulness, that love, that service, that endurance, and that sanctification, even in difficult times, because they had this truth. Jesus' solution is to recapture the basics of faith. A commitment to live the simple gospel and hold what you've got. We sang about the simple gospel. We, we, we preach about the simple gospel all the time. God created us perfectly. God created everything perfectly, but sin messed it up. He, uh, our sin, when we made a decision to choose our way instead of God's way, we wrecked our life and we, broke, uh, we became broken in our sin. And so what happens is from now on, what we do is we try to, to search for those things that will satisfy us. And sometimes we search for them in the church and sometimes we search for them in, in, in Christianity and, and sometimes it leads us to places that sound good, but but it's got a hint of false teaching. So we have to be able to discern. We've got to understand and know the, the gospel. That's why we encourage you to, to move away from corruption toward biblical truth by studying his word. You know, John 8, 31 says that you shall know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. You move away from chasing personalities, that next celebrity pastor or the new worship band. And, I'm, uh, uh, and then we move uh, away from chasing personalities and move toward chasing Jesus alone. Jesus said it himself in Matthew 11. He said, take my yoke and learn from me because I'm lowly and humble of heart and, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Move away from chasing the slightest corruption and, and you move toward moral purity because it honors Christ. See, if you do that, there's an incredibly sweet payoff. See, we're comforted with his promises. And this is what he promised the church. He promises that we'll be co-heirs with Christ. We'll reign with him. And the greatest thing is that we get him Personally, we get the morning star, and it's found in him. The benefits and blessing that we're looking for is not found in a different church or a different preacher or a different worship band or a different something that we're doing or a different job or a different this or different that. It's not found in any of that. It's found in him and him alone. But we chase after those things that are corrupt, and we choose to tolerate corruption. And a small corruption can cause great casualty. 
it's playing out in front of us in New York. We're seeing that. In other places, even in churches, we're seeing it play out. And, and, but I want to encourage you to make a fresh commitment to stand firm in the gospel. To, to hold what you've got. Hold firm to the word of God. Stand firm in the faith. Read it, learn it, meditate on it, memorize it, do it, put it into practice, share it, repeat it over and over and over again until Jesus comes back. And then Jesus will be honored. And his church, this church in Thyatira, the church here at Lee Heights, the churches all over the world will be positioned to be a light in the darkness. And give hope to a crazy corrupt world. And we can do that. We can stand firm with the gospel. A small corruption can make a great casualty. But a small change in you can ignite great transformation. And so today, I'm going to encourage you to make a small change. For some of you... You've had corruption that's been buried deep down inside you. Something that you've been not wanting to deal with or something that you've kind of, kind of pushed away, pushed aside for a long time. Something you've been tolerating. Today is the day to deal with that. Because you won't have a healthy marriage. You won't have a healthy family. You won't have, uh, you won't have health. You won't have any of that stuff until we deal with those corrupt things that are inside of us. So I want to encourage you, as we have a time of invitation and a time of, uh, of commitment here, for some of you, you need to hold what you got because you're faithful. You're doing those things. You're, you're doing the things that you need to do. Hold what you've got, but continue to be faithful in those things. For some of you, you need to deal with the corruption in your life. Maybe it's a corrupt thought. Maybe it's a corrupt heart. Maybe it's whatever it is. The Holy Spirit will give you insight into this.